Good morning. The reading today is from John 10, and I've got a partner. <laughs> Has Back had up. for a while. <laughs> Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life as the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? The others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them 
eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across to the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed. Well, thank you so much, Sue and Tony. Wasn't that well read? It's really good. Uh, let's pray. Father, please help us um, to sit under your word and open our eyes and open our hearts to know more of Jesus, to appreciate him, to love him, to understand how close he is with you and our heavenly Father. And we pray, help us to understand what it means for him to be our shepherd. Amen. So we've just heard a sustained contrast between pastors, between the true shepherd of God's people, Jesus, and in Jesus' day, pretend shepherds belonging to the religious establishment, the Pharisees. Well, I'm a pastor. I belong to the religious establishment, I suppose. This passage is searching <laughs> for me. But for all of us, the sheep, it's such a good passage. It's good to be reminded what a better pastor, a different pastor, Jesus, remains for us. He still is, he's alive, he still is our pastor. And in our country, I spoke about this last week, but given the Royal Commission that recently uncovered so many stories of pastoral abuse, I can't think of a chapter that's more helpful or more healing for our country than this one. Um, I just want to say, I, I, I do know that there are families here who know firsthand the pain and the damage, the wound, the deep wound of pastoral abuse. And without going down that rabbit hole, I want to acknowledge it uh, because it's relevant. And I want to point you to Jesus, who's a holy, different, and a good shepherd. Now, as to why Jesus teaches on this, the reason is because chapter 10 comes after chapter nine. Profound, I know. 
But you might remember that in chapter nine last week, we saw what happened when Jesus healed the blind man, a man who had been a very vulnerable member of Israelite society. After the healing, what happened and what emerged was a clear contrast between the pastoral response of the Pharisees and then that of Jesus to the man. The Pharisees, the shepherds of Israel, their pastoral response was appalling. Instead of rejoicing with the man, instead of welcoming him back in, instead of restoring him, they disbelieved him, they interrogated him, they lectured him, they verbally abused him, and in the end, they threw him out, they ejected him from the synagogue. It was appalling. It was almost unbelievable for the shepherds of Israel, shepherds of God's people, to behave like that, except tragically, horrifically, we know it's not uncommon. It's certainly not been an isolated incident. Now I want you to contrast that abusive pastoral behavior with that of Jesus. When Jesus hears that he's been kicked out, he goes and he searches after him until he finds him again. And then he speaks to him kindly, he welcomes him, he brings the man to faith and he restores him to worship. And the contrast therefore can't be greater and it's now probably with the, this man who's been healed still present, Jesus turns to the Pharisees and now he speaks primarily to them. So I want you to imagine that Jesus turned up in our day and he gathered all the abusive pastors that had been outed in the Royal Commission and he gathered them together and he addressed them with us listening in. It's like that in this chapter. And in doing so, Jesus shows himself as different to them, as different to them as health food is to cyanide. He's a thoroughly different pastor to his flock. In three ways, he is the shepherd, he is the gate, and he is the good shepherd. First of all, he is the shepherd. He has to establish this first of all because none of the Pharisees thought that Jesus was a legitimate shepherd or a pastor at all. Jesus says, not only am I legitimate, the real deal, but everything I am, you aren't. He says, I'm the real deal because I'm known and I'm recognized as a shepherd by those who count. Firstly, the gatekeeper. Now, in a town back then, several households would combine together and they'd, they'd They'd pen their sheep in each flock um, at night in different pens and they'd hire a gatekeeper to keep watch. Jesus says, when I come to the sheepfold in the morning as a shepherd, the gatekeeper recognizes me and he opens the gate for me. I'm known to the gatekeeper. Presumably he's saying this is God the Father if the flock is his people. I'm known to the gatekeeper and I'm also known to the sheep they know the voice of their shepherd. When I call them by name and they recognize my voice, they, they follow me to lead them out. There's trust there. And so it is today, you know, when, when people read Jesus' words, we hear Jesus' voice and we recognize that even if we've been treated badly by human pastors, he remains the good shepherd. Some of you will know there was a moment in my life, I've shared it before, um, when I was about 18, I just started at university and 
um, connected with some Christians there who no one knew were a member of a cult. I was the first person they contacted. And um, they so eroded my, my faith, I didn't know who to believe anymore. So I decided to leave my church, but I also decided to leave them. I, I just didn't know who to believe anymore. I got a stomach ulcer with worry. And I was reading, 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 reading the Bible like my life depended on it. And I have to say, Jesus was my shepherd. He, he led me through, despite the abuse that I got from this group when I told them I was leaving. I could have held the phone out here. Their voice was so loud. He was my shepherd. He fed me. Jesus' sheep know his voice, and so he says, I'm the real deal. I'm the true shepherd. You Pharisees aren't. You're not recognized by the gatekeeper. You climb in by some other way. The sheep aren't yours. You don't own them. They don't belong to you, which makes you thieves and robbers, predators, interested in the sheep, not for their good, but only insofar as what you can take. So the gatekeeper doesn't know you, and guess what? The sheep don't follow you either. In fact, they'll run away because you're a straight stranger to them. Now given what we've seen of the Pharisees in the previous chapter and how they treated the man who was healed, we have to agree. And I wanna say, if you've experienced people who said they were pastors, but in your life only wanted to take, then there's substantial relief in knowing that there is someone who is your true shepherd the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is not a predator. He doesn't have evil intent towards you. He has not come to take. And that brings us to the second big point. First one, he's the shepherd. But then in verses seven to 10, he says, not only am I the shepherd of the sheep, also I am the gate for the sheep. Now this is a bit funny thing to say, isn't it? I'm a gate, I'm a wooden structure. <laughs> Keep going with the sheep enclosure idea. What does the gate mean to you if you're a sheep? It means a lot. Think for a moment. At night time, the gate signifies your protection. You can sleep without fear of wolves. That's what it means. And then in the morning, of course, the gate signifies something new and something wonderful. It signifies nourishment. The gate is literally your doorway to the road out to pasture, to green fields, to thriving, or to, as Jesus put it in verse 10, to having life to the full. Jesus came that we may have life to the full. Now, I want you to think on that for a moment. What does that mean? You could think that if you believe in Jesus, what it means is that all your potential is fulfilled. If you read the verse in context, it actually means more than that. Outside of the enclosure, a sheep can only thrive if it follows the shepherd and lets the shepherd lead you to pasture. It's by walking behind Jesus, it's by walking and listening to his voice in the Bible, by following him, by heeding what he says, listening to his warnings, following him in the direction he wants us to go, it's only by doing that that we thrive, we become the people God meant us to be. Instead of our 
lives being destroyed by shepherd pretenders who are, not, who are really thieves who've come to kill and destroy and to pull us off track and maim us. I want to give an example. One of the biggest areas of pastoral confusion that's happening um, amongst Christian people and others at the moment is in the whole area of sexuality and, um, and sexual relationships. Um, you know, there are, there's a great push, isn't there, within churches, within the media, everywhere, to give blessing to people who want to be Christian and yet still want to live out actively a homosexual lifestyle. I'm not talking about people who are Christians who feel drawn to someone of the same gender but are seeking to live a chaste life in a God-honoring way. I'm talking about those that uh, say, I want to believe in Jesus and also live this life. We have to listen to the shepherd, okay? The Bible is very clear on this, very clear. First of all, we are all fallen in the area of our sexuality. It's not like heterosexuals have got it and homosexuals don't, right? We are all fallen in the whole area of our sexuality, whether we are heterosexual or homosexual or someone somewhere in between in orientation. Why is it that we find ourselves giving in to our desire and lusting after people we're not married to? That is, well, it's predatory. It's wanting just to take. We are fallen. We're all fallen. And we need a shepherd to lead us. And it's not the case that God thinks that any sex outside of marriage is either pleasing to him or in the long run good for us. He lays down his direction so that we can live life for the full and be uh, thrive under his, his direction, the creator's mandate. Um, there is a lie being pushed in our culture, isn't it? That the most freeing thing you can do is to have free sexual expression and to, to go for it. And yet uh, people have to hide the shell that they become and how they use others just like a loaf of bread. This is not God's intent for us. Uh, the Bible is very clear and it's written down for our good. Now, we need to listen to our shepherd's voice on this and we need to trust that our shepherd knows what is best for us and will give us life to the full. And yet, there are false shepherds. Just this week, for the first time in history, the House of Bishops in the Anglican Church in England affirmed the blessing of same-sex civil unions in England, the House of Bishops did this. And then the Synod met and they all agreed. Now, for evangelical ministers on the ground and for those Christians who, have, who live and struggle with same-sex attraction but are seeking to live lives pleasing to God, that decision is pastorally cruel. And that's the bishops of the Church of England, in England. Okay, the shepherds. And you can bet that there'll be ramifications here as there'll be cries for their stance to be adopted in Australia. The wave is coming. Pastorally, what do the sheep need to do? We need to trust that Jesus is our gate, right? I am the gate 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and find protection. They will go out and find pasture. By Jesus' words, it's only in following his voice that we can live life to the full. Now, recognize this is the same Jesus who welcomed sinners. He didn't push them away. He welcomed them. But then he called them to leave their lives of immorality. Go and sin no more. Immorality meaning having sex outside of a committed male-female marriage relationship. Now today, of course, we know this goes against the strong tide of our world and we know that the current is getting stronger. But we have to listen to Jesus. He is our gate. He is our shepherd. He speaks to protect us. He speaks to lead us to good pasture where we will thrive because we won't be eating weeds that have been soaked in poison. So he is our shepherd, the real deal, not a predator. He is the gate, protecting us and leading us to a nourishing and full life. And then he says it twice, he is the good shepherd. As opposed this time not to a thief who is evil, but to a hired hand. Hired hand isn't evil, it's just that the hired hand, well they just don't care. When push comes to shove, if danger arrives, a wolf or someone who's got a knife who wants to steal the sheep, the hired hand, well, he's only just working a job. He runs away. He's got no skin in the game except his own. He's only doing a job for someone else. He doesn't own the sheep. Um, They don't really matter to him. He's not going to risk anything for them. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away, says Jesus. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. He runs because he cares nothing for the sheep. Now contrast that hired hand with Jesus, the good shepherd, who cares. And we know he cares because he willingly lays down his life for the sheep. He's someone who'll give his life for them to save them from mortal danger. When we were in our growth group on Wednesday night, um, the guys there were talking about this and someone around the table said, well, you know, I'd give my life for my kids. And we all nodded and said, yeah, you just would, wouldn't you? You just would. Jesus has that level of care for his sheep. Instinctively, when, when danger threatens his sheep, instinctively, instead of running and hiding and shrinking back, he instinctively is someone who steps into the breach. He does what a good shepherd does. He places his sheep behind him and he, he faces the danger. And he'll stare it down, he'll, he'll frighten it off, or if it comes and attacks him, he'll lay down his life to protect the ones behind him so that he can kill whatever danger is coming. He's a good shepherd. Now, of course, what's he talking about? Laying down his life. Of course, he's talking about the cross. But even before that, in John's gospel, he does it for his disciples. Can you remember? Can you remember? Think for a moment. When was the next moment in John's gospel when Jesus found himself in a walled enclosure with his disciples? The next moment when danger came... And when instead of hiding, Jesus instinctively steps out to face 
the danger. He places himself between the wolves and his disciples so as to save his disciples. Can you remember the moment? The garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Gardens in the ancient world were walled enclosures. Jesus had already prayed that he would lose none of those that the Father had given him. He cares. And then after praying in the garden, you know, he was quickly waking up his disciples that had fallen asleep. They were meant to be on watch for him. But they'd fallen asleep and Jesus realizes the danger. They have no idea. He's waking them up so that they could get away, but all of a sudden it's too late. The wolves arrive. Judas is leading a detachment of soldiers, armed soldiers, and instead of hiding in the shadows like some hired hand, Jesus instinctively just goes out and steps forward. I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. That's what he says. His instinctive reaction is to care for his sheep. He's the good shepherd. It brilliantly illustrates what Jesus did at the cross, doesn't it? How because he so cares so deeply for us, he acted to save us against the devouring wolves that really would threaten to take down all of us for eternity, four of them. The sin that we've done, the law which condemns the sin that we've done, our record of guilt that now stands against us because of the sin that we've done and the law that's condemned us, we're guilty. And then Satan, our prosecutor, our accuser, as a pack, they are lethal and they place us in mortal peril. But praise God that you and I have a good shepherd a shepherd who cares, who instinctively stepped into the breach, faced the danger himself. With ourselves hiding behind him, Jesus walked out and took on those wolves when he laid down his life. He carried our sin, he absolves our guilt, he frees us from the condemnation of the law by having it come on him. And then he takes away Satan's power to accuse because he's paid it, right? He's a good shepherd who cares. He acts it out. He doesn't just say it, he does it. He's a good shepherd. He's already said it once, but now he'll say it a second time because he wants us to understand, I am, I am the good shepherd. Now, what he means now is I have a personal relationship with my sheep. He says, I know my sheep. This is a, relational, a relationship that's mutual. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This mutually intimate personal relationship comes from God. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Okay, now as intimately as that is true, Jesus' relationship with his Father, Jesus says just like that, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And it's not just his present flock of sheep that he knows, his present disciples, it's a future flock. He says, I have other sheep from this sheep pen. He has Gentile disciples, not just Jewish ones. He says, I've got sheep from there too that I must bring. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. 
Now, how is Jesus going to gather in and unite such different people together who in the history of the world had never been united before? He'll do it by laying down his life for the sheep, verse 15. Now, sometimes when we think about the cross, we can get it wrong, can't we? we can, it can seem like Jesus is the good cop, the loving one, and the father is the bad cop. He's the one with the anger problem who has to vent on his son or something like this. And you may have heard the criticism that what Jesus goes through is tantamount to cosmic child abuse, really, when you think about it. You've got an innocent son, um, and he doesn't deserve what's happening to him. He's made to suffer by a vengeful father. It's all the father's plan. And the son is abused to the point where he dies. But what do we say about this? Well, when Jesus describes his relationship with the Father, it doesn't sound at all like that of a person who's trapped in an abusive relationship. He says, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. There's love there. And it's not the death that's the goal, it's Jesus' resurrection to life that's the goal. It's the Father's plan. And even more than that, although Jesus dying is the Father's plan, at the same time, it remains Jesus' own decision. No one takes it from me, my life. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. It's my own decision. So that means the cross cannot be conceived as cosmic child abuse. It is rather the action of the good shepherd who steps in to rescue his sheep, just as the Father desired for us, because he knows us and he cares for us. Now, whatever you personally think of Jesus, I want you to see that it's impossible just to say he's moderately interesting or a good teacher. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. He said he's either mad or he's bad or he's God. Those are the choices. And C.S. Lewis is right. They're exactly the reactions of those listening to Jesus. Look at verse 20. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? There it is. He's bad, demon-possessed, or he's raving mad. He's mad. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And indeed, a demon could not. So you have to make your decision. Because what we see next in the second half of the chapter, I'll be much more quick, is that not making a decision is in fact a decision itself. Fast forward a few months, scene change, it's winter. It's the time of the Jewish festival. Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and the Jews there gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, how long will you keep us in suspense? That's a generous translation. Uh, It's probably more the sentiment how long are you going to annoy us? (laughs) If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. 
Now, he's already said in John's Gospel, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the shepherd, I am the good shepherd, without saying the exact words, I am the Christ. He has told them. And then he says, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Isaiah the prophet had said, when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame person will leap, you know. Well, guess what? So far in John's gospel, he has turned water into wine. He has healed a lame man who'd been lame for 38 years. He's fed 5,000 people with a few loaves. He has healed a man born blind, lived all his life blind, never been able to see. And soon, next chapter, next week, he's to raise someone from the dead. He hasn't been withholding evidence from them. (laughs) But they are almost professional agnostics. Did you know in the ancient world, agnostic was not something to boast about. Um, it It was viewed with disdain, like you were stupid not to make a decision. Today it's trendy. But agnosticism really, when the evidence is before you, is just like being a professional procrastinator. And there's nothing so frustrating. If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus cuts through their pretense. I did tell you, but you didn't believe. Look, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen. You don't listen, you're not my sheep. And he's right, in verse 31, they pick up stones to stone him. In verse 39, they try and lay hands on him to seize him. Jesus is right, they are not his sheep. In contrast, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they they follow me. Now, could it be then that if you haven't made your mind up about Jesus, if you're a professional procrastinator, or if you just won't make up your mind, could it be you're not one of his sheep? Well, if that's the case, what do you do? Just become one. Become one of his sheep. I want you to listen to the assurance that he gives you if you are one of his sheep. Just listen how good it is, okay? He says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Not even when he's crucified and dead. We think, well, he's not really alive. I mean, surely someone could come in and snatch them out of his hand at that point. Surely that's when Satan has his power. He says, no, no one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me is greater than all, even Satan. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I've got them, my father has them. He says, I am the father of one. Not even then, not when Jesus had died and his flock had scattered and when they're in immortal danger. His sheep aren't just in his hand, they're in his father's hand. And it's not the case that Jesus is gently holding them while his father wants to wring their necks because he has an anger problem, you know, if you're in the father's hand. He says, I and the father are one. How I am is how the father is. How he is is how I am. We both hold you with the same pastoral fierceness for your protection, the same pastoral gentleness for your care. We both hold you. Now that is such assurance, isn't it? Is it possible to become one of Jesus' sheep if you're not one? 
Well, of course it is. Right to the end of the chapter, I want you to see, we hear Jesus trying to persuade his hard-hearted opponents to believe in him. Do not believe in me unless I do the works of, of my Father, but if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I in the Father. Now, I take it that he wouldn't have tried to persuade them if it was impossible for someone who wasn't his sheep to become a sheep. It is possible to move from unbelief to belief. Well, do they change? Many don't. They try to seize him. But still, did you hear, when he makes a strategic escape, many people come to him because they are persuaded. Jesus is now down where John began baptizing. The people there say, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man is true. They believe. Jesus calls for belief, and this is what he wants of all of us. Um, He wants us to either follow him as his sheep or to become his sheep. So to finish, if you are one of his sheep, I mean, if you're not, become one, but if if you are already, believe in him. What, What does it mean for you, if you're a sheep, that Jesus is not a thief and a robber? Well, he's... He's not someone who'll try and steal from you. He is the real deal, he's your shepherd. What does it mean for you, as one of Jesus' sheep, that Jesus is your gate? Well, it means that he will act to protect you and he is there to nourish you, not destroy you. What does it mean for you, as a sheep, that Jesus speaks to you and you know his voice? Well, it means that you'll listen to him, (laughs) okay? You'll read it, you'll listen to his voice, but it also means you're safe with him, you trust him. He will do you no harm. There is a relationship there. What does it mean for you as a sheep given that he knows you by his name, by your name? It means that you matter to him, that you personally care for, uh, 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 sorry, he personally cares for you. That's right. What does it mean for you as a sheep given that he isn't a hired hand, but he's got skin in the game? It means you are his and he's instinctively protective of you. Lastly, what does it mean for you as a sheep given that he lays down his life for you? It means that he gives you eternal life and you shall never perish because no one can snatch you out of his hand. He really is a different pastor, isn't he? Praise God. Thank you so much, Lord. Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in the fellowship of the Spirit, we give you praise and honor for Jesus, the shepherd, the gate, our gate, and the good shepherd, our good shepherd. May we follow him. Amen.